0: Thank you everybody, and welcome to another episode of If You Don't Like That. Today I talk about the King of Sacramento. But first, I want to tell you that today's show is brought to you by my good friends. At New Works Plumbing of Sacramento. They have been unbelievable to me. They have been with me since day one back in October of 2020. And I really appreciate all the feedback that I get from those that have used New Works Plumbing for all of their plumbing needs and repairs. And you can do the same thing. Just go to newworksplumbing.com. And remember, they're available 24-7. So if you have an emergency in the middle of the night, no problem. They'll be there for you. For your plumbing needs and repairs, just go to NewWorksPlumbing.com. That's N E W W R X Plumbing.com. Arguably the greatest athlete to ever come out of Sacramento, Dusty Baker. And Dusty right now is at the top of the mountain after winning a World Series as Houston. Astros manager. You know, I think about Dusty Baker and I think about so many things. I think about his dad, who was a just fanatic, crazy, passionate Sacramento Kings fan, used to see Dusty's father at every single game. I think about all of the interviews that I've had with Dusty Baker, some over the phone, some in person always taking time to ask me how I'm doing, how my family's doing, Uh, a guy that really, when you travel from coast to coast and you say Dusty Baker, you don't hear bad things about the man, you hear about people who respect him, that some idolize him, some want to be like Dusty, and I was thinking about the podcast that I did with Dusty back in December of 2020, which I listened to on a walk a couple of days ago. There are a couple of things that stuck out from that podcast that I'm going to actually replay today because they really, once again, hit home with me. And when I think about Dusty's legacy, I think about his legacy as a person. I also think of his legacy as a professional athlete and as now a World Series winning manager for the Houston Astros. But for those of us that know Dusty, that have been around Dusty, our lives have been better because Dusty Baker entered our lives. And when you can say that about an individual, I think that is the highest compliment you can give somebody. Just by knowing Dusty, your life becomes better because after you talk with Dusty, you're left with just a good feeling because that's what he does for people. He is a people person. He's a manager that players loved playing for. And for him to win... A World Series as big league skipper after coming so close on so many other occasions is so rewarding and gratifying for those that know Dusty and even for those that have never met Dusty that were cheering for him and I really believe that the entire country was rooting for Dusty Baker other than Philadelphia Phillies fans. You know I do a show with Sean Salisbury and about a year ago He made a great point about, you know, Dusty Baker was the Andy Reid of Major League Baseball. You know, Andy is a guy that is respected in the National Football League and had a lot of people rooting for him, but could never win the big game, could never win a Super Bowl ring. And I think when he won as coach of the Kansas City Chiefs, that there were so many people that were genuinely very excited for him, other than 49er fans or teams that, Andy Reid's Chiefs beat along the way, but you root for people like that. You root for good people. And Dusty Baker is not only good people, Dusty Baker is great people. As I said, you can learn a lot from being around Dusty Baker. You can learn a lot by listening to Dusty Baker. And I want to share part of the conversation that I had with him back in December of 2020 when Dusty as a young man was on his way to the Deep South. You mentioned that, and I'm wondering how much that prepared you for ending up in Atlanta, obviously in the late 60s. You were on deck, as mm. everyone knows, when Henry Aaron hit 715, and I'll never forget Vin Scully. He said, what a marvelous yep. moment for the country and the world. A black yep. man is getting a standing ovation in the Deep South. What did you have to endure? What was that like being a black well, man in that
1: time? At that time, I mean, you know, Carmichael didn't didn't prepare me for you know for that. You know, that was <laughs> right. <a> st- <laughs> sure. <laughs> I mean, you know, when I you know my first stop was in Little Rock, Arkansas, and they, they wouldn't let us off the bus. The black players off the bus to eat, and the white players had to get us our our meals for us. And you know, I mean, I went from you know, hate ashbury and, and Berkeley, Sacramento to the Deep South when, you know, there were freedom marches, there were riots, there was anti-Vietnam, and then during that, during that time, I also joined the Marines, and so, you know, which wasn't a very popular thing, but I had to join the Marines, I didn't have to, I could have joined the National Guard, but the National Guard was being called out, you know, on riots, and I'm like, no, I'm certainly not going to do that, and that's why I joined the Marines, but... I prayed the night of the draft that I would not be drafted by the Atlanta Braves because I didn't want to go to the deep south because I had seen, you know, my parents were, were leaders, especially in Riverside, of the you know, NAACP, and I was in the junior NAACP. And so, you know, I was, you know, my dad got Ebony, CPI, got Jet Magazine. So my family was, was way up on the on the civil rights action and and in the middle of it. And so it was like, oh, I, I really didn't want to go there. But Hank Aaron promised my mom that I'd be, he'd treat me, you know, like his son. And, and that's why my mom let me sign against my dad's. You know, permission. And, you know, we didn't speak for three years. I thought, you wow. know, that famous. I'm a man now. I can do what I want. <laughs> That's incredible. Yeah. yeah. And so I was, I was, uh, I was in a bit of a turmoil, like between that going, uh, you know, the racial unrest that they going in the South, uh, B- Vietnam. You know, peace and love. I mean, I was like, I was torn in a lot of directions. But that was the best thing that happened to me, being around Hank Aaron and. You know, during that time, you know, I got to meet some of the some of the civic leaders of our of our time. I didn't know how much history I was actually walking through when when you're hanging with, you know, Jesse Jackson and Hank Aaron and Cecil Williams and Andrew Young and Maynard Jackson and uh, uh, you know Jesse Jackson and Herman Russell, uh, Ted Abernathy and and finally w- when Hank took me to the state house was right down the street from Atlanta, uh, Fulton County Stadium to go have lunch on a number of times with, you know, Jimmy Carter and his mom. And so that was something that I look back upon that I was very, very fortunate to to have been born when I was born and also to go through the things that I was kind of forced to go through. But I, I figure I was one of the chosen ones from God. And, you know, the reason I was, I was in that situation. You know, that's fascinating to hear you talk about that. And if we fast
0: forward to 2020 and what's going on in this country right now and sports have really jumped, I think, to the forefront bringing social justice issues uh, out into the forefront. But you've been through so much and you were through so much as you sit here in your early 70s. What's your take on what's going on now in this country as it relates to race?
1: Well, I mean, you know, I see some of the same things, you know, I saw before, you know, I mean, there's 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 there's. Probably as much or more division than there, than there was, you know, before. I'm telling you, I mean, in some ways we've made a lot of progress. You know, I see a bunch of commercials on TV. I remember when Jim Brown and Raquel Welch were in a love scene together and that, that was a big uproar and, or when, That's right. when, you know, Sydney Portier was, was in, guess who's coming to dinner and, uh, you know, which was me a couple of times. And so, but what I do see also are, are, are interracial, you know, commercials, I mean, big time, you know, and then, and then I, I see the young kids that are, that are protesting peacefully, you know, back in the day, most of the protests, you know, were, you know, were African-Americans and, and many times, you know, the white Americans were Jewish, Jewish descent. Now I see everybody out there, Native Americans, uh, Asians, you know, Indians, black, white, young Young people, old people, and so that gives me, uh, you know, some hope of the future that, that, that the young people, I mean, it's going to be their time and, and hopefully we can make some change, you know, for them. You know, I mean, I'm 70 years old, but I have a 21 year old son. Sure. And, you know, which, which is right in his, his mind. And then I also have a, 10 month old grandson, that's, you know, for my daughter. I mean, that's going to be, you know, his future life. So I'm just hoping that, you know, we can leave, uh, you know, a better world for them and they can remain together and hopefully, you know, this separation that, that has been caused you know, reunited and stay united and not just for a period of time.
0: Before we talk about your days with the Dodgers, you mentioned Hank Aaron a couple of times. What was it like being around him every day? And what did you learn the most from him?
1: Uh, mostly I learned about, uh, you know, dignity and humility. You know, I've always told people that for years that uh, the most humble superstars that I've I've been around probably, you know, were Sandy Koufax and, and Hank Aaron. But I mean, internally, you know, they weren't humble. <laughs> you, you know, worth nothing. But externally, you know, they were they were tremendously humble. They didn't wear their, their fame and fortune on their sleeves. I learned, you know, from Hank and my dad, you know, when to you know pick your battles. But you also learned that as a man, you have outer dignity and an inner dignity, and the outer dignity is what you take from your employer or from other people to, to to feed your family and and keep your job and save your job, but your inner dignity that no man, you know, has a right to protrude on that. And so you have to say, you know, damn life, live, and your job, and just figure out the Lord to take care of you, you know, some kind of way. And so this, between him and my dad, I mean, th- these are the, probably the life lessons that I've learned. And also from Hank about, the, you know, try to do something, you know, to be an entrepreneur and put people to work and, and, and do something with your money. Just, just decide, just sit around and count it. You know, try to, try to do something productive in your life.
0: How fascinating was it to hear Dusty talk about being chosen by God, that difficult journey across the country to play in the Deep South, where his dad was against it, they didn't talk for three years, what a lesson. What a lesson being in that environment, the people that he met, the impact that meeting all of those people has had on his life and playing with the great Hank Aaron. We then talked about the impact that the Sacramento Kings had on Dusty's father, who was a fixture at pretty much every single home game.
1: Yeah, well, you know, my dad went to every game. Yes, he did. You know, like. I was in the embassy room, I think, and I found my name up on this t- TV, and I was like, what, what, "What's my name doing up there?" It was like the original fifteen season ticket holders in alphabetical order, I think, from '85. Sure, '85. Is, is yes, yeah. it is. Yes, it so, is. In the old those. I've been giving those Kings my money since 1985, (laughs) every year. And and my dad, he was the biggest Kings fan. He was like, oh, son. You know, he loved Reggie Theus, you know. Sure. I mean, he loved Otis Thorpe. I mean, he was like, oh, son, man, we got a number one draft choice. I said, said, who we got, that?" He goes, man, we got Joe Klein. (laughs) (laughs) And then
0: next
1: year. That's And he he goes, oh, yeah, we got Bobby Hurley. And then we got Otis Thorpe. We got this guy. We got that guy. And. Well, I think he would love watching Darren Fox. Play. Oh boy, would he you know I ever! Mean? Yes, he oh, would. Yeah. My dad was still alive, so I think I think the Kings kept kept him alive probably another four or five years just by him because that was his only release going to the games. I mean, you saw me; I, I, I rarely went, but my dad. Every game. All the time, and I, yep. every game, yep. and, and he'd get there. The Kings uh, treated him so good; he'd get there for the shoot around. I think he'd get there yep. five o'clock. He, hey, he got
0: there. He got there before I got there. He was there before. I believe I was. that.
1: Yes. Oh yeah. yeah. No oh, yeah. And I, they all love my dad. So I just gotta love you, Dad. Gotta, gotta thank the players for uh, and the organization for taking such great care of my dad. What a what a great man. You know, the last time I
0: saw you was at a Kings game, and it was before mm-hmm. you got the job where you are now, did you ever think in your wildest dreams you'd be managing a team in your 70s? And and what, what, take me back to that process. You're sitting there and all of a sudden, boom, the Astros become a possibility. They were a mess because of everything that happened. Right. What was that experience like? Cause you did it. I don't want to say you did your best job ever. Cause I don't, I can't remember all of your 23 yeah. years, but you did, Dusty, you know, you did an unbelievable job at that team last year.
1: Well, I was trying to get 2,000 victories, you know, and I had missed six out of the last like 12 years or something like that. You know, I'd have had 2,000 a long time ago. You know, every time I'd, I'd lose a job for whatever reason, which I never could figure out, I had interview for Philadelphia. And I thought I'd have had a heck of an interview. I thought, I thought I was in there, you know, two years Need 130 something game, games, I think, or 150, 60, I don't know what it was for 2000. And that I was going to call it quits. And so I didn't, I didn't get the job. So I thought it was, I thought I was over. I said, okay, man, I guess the Lord don't want me to get it. Then the Houston job came available and they called me. And so, like I said, most of my life has been a situation where where I, I didn't really seek things that I was chosen, uh, even though I was prepared, whether physically, mentally, or whatever it was, you know, or spiritually for when I got the call, but I had I had turned it off because, uh, you know, I was like, okay, I don't want to be out here past a certain age, but it was like, it was exhilarating. and And my son, you know, he told me, he said, Dad, maybe you know, well, not maybe. He said everything for a reason. I'm like, well, here's this kid at 21 years old talking to me like I should be talking to him, you know what I mean? Right, sure. <laughs> and he goes, Dad, everything for a reason. And I said, okay, son. I says, what do you think? Should I take it? And my wife says, do you want it? And I said, well, they got a good team because most of the teams that I inherited other than Washington were last or next to the last team and then I had to develop them. And so the last two jobs that I've had, they had... Good talent, even though this was, I mean, this was, (laughs) it was a trying situation. Sure was. I mean, and I sort of think about how bad it could have been had there been fans in the stands, even though we missed fans in the stands. And I heard Aaron Rodgers say that the other day. Yes. About, you know, how he missed fans in the stands. Yeah, but. I missed them, but I missed that booing and hissing that, that, that we got <laughs> right. yep. in, in spring training. Cause man, that was hell in spring training. And I saw how it affected some of the guys and, you know, I mean, these guys are still humans and they're, and they're, you know, they got sensitivities and strengths like everybody else. What was your
0: biggest trepidation
1: or the the
0: biggest, I don't want to say obstacle, but the the one thing that. Was it Darren? Was it your son, Darren, or was it that that made you say, "Okay, you know what? I, I can I can do this here in Houston."
1: Well, I mean, I never had any doubt that I could do it. You know, the only doubt I had is, do I want to do it? Mm-hmm. And and I had some other things going, my Baker Family Wine. I had the Baker Energy team that I had started the, the the years I was out of the game, and you know, did I want to get back on that packing and unpacking again? But you know, the thrill of the game. Is, is the same, you know? And, you know, I'd had a stroke seven years ago. I had prostate cancer 20, almost 20 years ago now. So, you know, you're wondering about, you know, is your health going to make it? You know, and I didn't want to start something that that I couldn't, that I couldn't continue. But I've learned how to, you know, take care of myself now, try not to take games back to your rooms or try not to, you know, open a bottle in your room and, celebrate after a great victory and and then you know lament after a, a bad loss and that equals drinking every night you know see sure no, no good right <laughs> yeah no good no good yeah. so you know you learn over a period of time you know how to let things roll off your back and you know how to uh, you know not let things bother you especially those that are out of your control now a lot of that I'm talking about is easier said than done Cause you know sometimes those victories are, or the, no, sometimes those losses still wake you up at night. But you know that's what keeps you going. And I talked my dad into retiring one time, and he almost died, and he went back to work part time, and then he lived another ten years. So sure. that's something that. And, and he died of dementia. So that's something else that's on my mind to try to try to keep my mind sharp and on a, on a daily basis, which which helps me Dusty
0: Baker at the top of the baseball world. What an amazing achievement. What an amazing job he has done in Houston with the Astros. And it will only be a matter of time before he is in Cooperstown. Not only is he a hall of fame baseball person, he's a hall of fame person. He's a hall of fame human being. And that, to me, is what will always stand out when I talk about Dusty Baker. Not being a great player, not being from Sacramento, not being a great manager. If you ask me, tell me about Dusty Baker, I will always start off by saying, man, what a great person. What a great person. Congratulations to Sacramento's very own Dusty Baker. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. All right, it is now time for our CrowdUltra Q&A. Just go to CrowdUltra.com and maybe I will answer your question on my next podcast. Jackson asks, how do you think Kyrie Irving handles his list of return requirements and will he sue? The last thing I'm going to do is try to forecast anything that Kyrie Irving will do or say because there is no rhyme or reason when it comes to Irving. So how will he handle his list of Requirements. I'm not even going to wager a guess on that. Luke wants to know Will this be the closest the Phillies get to winning a World Series with Bryce Harper? Luke, I don't have a crystal ball any more than you do. Let's sit back and watch it. Chris asks Is Josh McDaniels the Raiders' problem? Well, I don't know if he's their problem, but he sure as hell isn't their solution. They have regressed big time from making the playoffs last year. And after his disaster as head coach with the Broncos years ago, uh, this certainly has not been a good second start for the Raiders head coach. That is for sure. David wants to know, do you like the idea of the NBA eventually expanding into Mexico City? No, I think it will be wrong. I do not think that the NBA should be in Mexico City. And I'll tell you why. First of all, I've experienced the NBA in Mexico City in the regular season when Sacramento played Boston. And it was great. It was phenomenal. And I love Mexico City. But if you've never been to Mexico City, there are a couple of things that you have to understand. The traffic is the worst that I've ever seen anywhere in the world, and I've been very blessed to travel around the globe. I think it would be a very difficult city to get players that want to play there, especially players that have families. So I think it would be a big-time uphill battle, David, And again, I've experienced Mexico City. Again, it was fascinating, a fascinating city. But the air pollution is horrible. The traffic is an absolute freaking nightmare. And I don't think you're going to get a lot of players that are going to want to live there with their families. I just don't. So for that reason, I don't see it happening. I really don't. Casey wants to know, what do you think Kyrie and Adam Silver's meeting consisted of? I didn't even know they met. Did they meet? Who knows? Who knows? Who cares? Chase wants to know what's your take on the NHL making Mitchell Miller ineligible to be signed because when he was 14, he bullied a kid at school who was black. Well, first of all, I will say this. I read what happened when Miller was 14 to the kid, and it was awful. All right? Plain and simple, it was not an isolated incident. It was really bad. However, I think our society has gone way overboard in punishing our adolescents, Raise your hand if as a teenager, you were perfect. Raise your hand if you didn't get into trouble. Raise your hand if you didn't do anything really wrong that you now look back on and are embarrassed that you partake in those actions, okay? So we're now singling out a 14-year-old and his bullying was egregious, all right? We acknowledge that, but he was 14 years old. And now you're saying that he can't have a career in the National Hockey League? Why? That doesn't make sense to me. I mean, we let our athletes in professional sports in America back on the playing surfaces after doing egregious things, domestic violence, DUIs, felonies, assault, battery, and we're not going to let a 14-year-old who made a big mistake as an adolescent, we're not going to allow him to have a career playing in the National Hockey League? I'm sorry, Chase. That is wrong to me. It makes no sense. I mean, if you had murdered someone at age 14, different story, okay? But bullied a kid at school? Yeah, it's bad. Yeah, it's bad. But not bad enough where he has to have a lifelong punishment. Ryan asked, isn't it weird the Colts made Jeff Saturday their head coach? Yeah, it is. I mean, it it really is. For a guy that's got no coaching experience other than high school, yes. Andrew asked, do you believe Tony Brothers called Spencer Dinwiddie a blank, blank, blank and should be fined? Well, if he did say that, he should be more than fined. He should be suspended. So I'm I'm still waiting to see what happens with that. But if that is exactly what Tony Brothers said to Spencer Dinwiddie, uh, he should be suspended, not just fined. Reed wants to know, how cool is it that someone bought Lamar Odom's championship rings and then gave it back to him? It is cool. Anyone that's followed Lamar Odom's life, um, you know, he's had a real issue with substance abuse. So that really is cool. Rob wants to know, what's your take on the D.C. lawsuit against the commanders in the NFL? My take is, I don't care. Martin asks, would you say the Memphis Grizzlies have one of the best home courts with fan support in the league? No, Martin, I wouldn't say that. I wouldn't even say they're close. I, I, I would be very curious as to know why you ask me that question. When I think of great fan supports and home courts in the league, I do not think of the Memphis Grizzlies. I'm sorry. Andre wants to know, are you surprised the Nets named Jock Vaughn head coach? No, I'm not surprised. They should have named him head coach the day after they fired Steve Nash. I think Jock Vaughn is a hell of a basketball mind. Maybe I'm being a little uh, playing a little favoritism because I know him and I think he's a phenomenal, phenomenal human being and I love Jock Vaughn, but no, I think he'll do a very good job with the Nets. They should have named him Uh, Day one. Jake asked, are the Lakers going to have another lackluster season or try and make big changes soon? Well, you know, they play Sacramento again tonight. No LeBron James in all likelihood. They have two wins. They're at the bottom of the conference. Yeah, their season's pretty close to being over. David wants to know, were you a fan of Lenny Dykstra? Lenny Dykstra, the player? Yeah, I was a fan. I liked the way he played the game. Absolutely. Cameron wants to know, do I have any idea if Ben Gordon is mentally ill or an angry bad guy? Maybe a little bit of both, Cameron. Maybe a little bit of both, but I don't know. And Trevor asked, uh, did I see Cole Beasley's statements on Kyrie and have an opinion on it? I did see the tweet basically defending Kyrie Irving, and the only thing I would say is I don't know how anyone, and I really mean this, I don't know how anyone could defend Kyrie Irving. Again, just go to crowdultra.com, and maybe I will answer your question on my next podcast. It's time for. Rant, 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 rant. And today's rant is brought to you by Zoom 180. What is Zoom 180, you ask? Zoom 180 is a revolutionary new flashlight that just began production and will be available in the future to you. And when you see it, you will be Napes. How on earth do I get one of those flashlights? It will blow your mind. There's never been anything like it. Just remember, Zoom 180, when it is. Finished being in production, I will tell you how you can order it. It is awesome with a capital A. So I guess Adam Silver did indeed meet with Kyrie Irving and said there is no doubt in his mind that he is not anti-Semitic. Well, that's good. That's good. That's reassuring to hear from Adam Silver. I'll just leave it to Phil Mushnick's column in the New York Post last night that wrote this about Adam Silver. All right, the headline was Silver's disappointing lack of leadership. Quote, How long will Adam Silver remain disappointed in NBA players' gross misconduct until he takes firm publicized action to try to restore some decency to a league, a business that's losing decent headed fans and customers to misanthropes? Will he be too late? There you go. Plain and simple. Wow. Unbelievable. Then he writes, there is no longer any doubt that the NBA, like the NFL, accedes to a double standard that disenfranchises the fair-minded. A white player who similarly attacked blacks as Irving again did Jews would be immediately jettisoned. Disappointment would be publicly condemned as revulsion. And he ends by saying, and the National Basketball Players Association plans to appeal Irving's suspension for his continued ignorant perpetuation of a concocted hate-filled hoax declaring that Jews conspire to enslave blacks in parentheses, even if this Jew has never known even two Jews to agree on anything. He then says, think the NBA PA would appeal on behalf of a white player who spread inflammatory lies about blacks? Would communist China Nike apologist and racial knee-jerk artist LeBron James support his reduced punishment and requirements as he has for Irving? But silver has allowed this lunatic fringe to operate inside the fringes. Meanwhile, the NBA continues to suffer the insufferable in silence. Only the Irving matter limited attention to the Hornets' recent disappointments. And he talks about two players, their issues of being arrested and being back on the floor, and the other, uh, Miles Bridges, pleading no contest in the felony assault of his girlfriend in front of their two children. And finally writes, almost makes you forget almost that the NBA has been systemically diminished from a beautiful team game to a strategically empty three-point heaves. Such self-destructive neglect is very uh, uh, disappointing. Phil Mushnick, and that's my rant for today. That's my podcast for today. I hope you enjoyed me reminiscing about the conversation I had with Dusty back in 2020 and his great achievement atop the Baseball Mountain World Series champion manager. Dusty Baker. Have a great weekend, everybody.